Hello again. I do want to welcome you back to Bible Studies with Russ. It has been a while, but I'm thankful for you to be back here with me today. We're going to try to, to the very best of our ability, pick up where we have left off and get back into the swing of things. We have had an absent for a while and uh, a lot of things going on, moving and many other things. And so we are trying to get back into the swing of things. And so we're going to begin today uh, by doing a quick read through where we have left off. It's been a few weeks since we, um, actually it's been since our last study was released on the 13th. We've had some sermons that I have posted, uh, but we're going to go back and in our last study back in May, this is, uh, this is going to be uh, September 29th. So it's been a while, but back in May, we were looking at Joshua, or excuse me, Judges rather, chapter five, and we got through Judges chapter five through Judges chapter six and verse 16. So, I'm going to back up and read Judges chapter 6, verse 1, and we're going to pick up in our study in verse 17. So let's go ahead and do that uh, today. So Judges chapter 6, and we're going to pick up, um, like I said, we're going to read through verse 1, and then we're going to stop and begin our actual study in verse 17. So Judges chapter 1, and we'll be uh, reading from the... Uh, New King James, that's what I use in my studies primarily. New King James or King James. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them to the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds, which are in the mountains. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against the camp uh, against them and camp against them, and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. But they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as a as numerous as locusts, uh, as numerous as locusts. Uh, both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, who said to them, Thus says, says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from, the, from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. And we know, as we've seen throughout Judges, that that is the determining factor, and it's still is today. That phrase in verse 10, but you have not obeyed my voice. And we look at verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abzerite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O Lord, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us in the hands of Midianites. 
it's interesting that that topic there. And I actually have a, a lesson entitled that that very thing. Uh, where are all, where are all his miracles? Um, I have a lesson entitled that. If I can find it, I'll share it with you later. Um, it says, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has Mennonites. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours, you and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Mennonites. Have I not sent you? So he, so he said to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Mennonites as one man. And that brings us to where we are today, looking at verse 17. Then he said to him, If, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Now, we know today there are those who want you to believe the Lord has spoken to them directly. Now, we have to realize and remember that as we look at Judges chapter 6 and look at anything from the Old Testament or anything during really the, the miraculous age where God spoke in such ways, we have to remember the Lord also has revealed to us through his word that he now speaks to us through his word and not through a small, still voice and not in some way like we have here. Uh, and so... We have to remember this was a different time. Looking at verse 17, he says, Now if I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. So getting one to be reassured that God was really leading him. You have to also keep in mind that uh, these people were oppressed, right? You back up a little bit here, and we should find in verse, um, where is it? Verse. Um, Tell me how all how they were oppressed. Yeah, verse 13. O Lord, if thou Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And that could be a good indication of why he says what he does here in verse 17. If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? The Lord tells him to go in verse 17. We now find him saying, Lord, if it's you, if I found favor in your sight, show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. In verse 18, do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon had prepared an offering, uh, food as for an earthly being, an offering as as for a divine being. We find in verse 18, said, I pray, uh, pray until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. Uh, and he says, I'll wait till you come back. Verse 19, so Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah flour. The meat he put in a basket and put the broth in a pot and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them to and presented them. Verse 19, uh, verse 20, the angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Verse 21, well, let's look what happens here. Let me scoop this up. The angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and the fire and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. The offering was then consumed by fire. The Lord often responds by fire, doesn't he? We find that he does so with miracles. He does so with his wrath. He does so in his guidance. And he does so here in reassurance. The angel of the Lord departed out of his sight after the fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Verse 22. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord Face to face, verse 22. Now, 
Uh, Gideon realized that he had been in the presence of an angel of God. He was afraid. He was reassured he would not die in verse 23. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. He saw the angel of the Lord, right? He said here, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Verse 22. He obviously fears for his life because he has done so. Uh, perhaps well, not only because he has done so, perhaps because of his you know, wanting this reassurance and wanting this, this sign. But he is Richard in verse 23. Peace be with you. Almost like, calm down. It's okay. Do not fear. You shall not die. Verse 24. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace. To this day it is still an Ophrah of the Abderites. Um, and I have a map. I'm going to try to pull this up for future uh, lessons. I have an app on my phone. It's kind of a unique app that's shown to me by my brother-in-law. The name is uh, simple, but the company puts it out is kind of the like plowboy or something like that but it is a and i'll have it on my phone it must be on my tablet anyway um what it does is when you pull up a a section of scripture and it has locations listed uh it will have a map to the right of it and it'll show you so when you click on the location it'll show you where it is on the map and so um i'll try to use that next time as well uh get it on here because it's, it's really handy it helps you really kind of see and imagine uh, in your mind, the places uh, that we're talking about. Um, and I don't know if this will show up in, let me pull this up here. Okay, it doesn't show up there on your screen, but Ophrah means fawn, uh, a place in Manasseh, native place of Gideon, probably located close to Shechem, uh, there in verse 23. Okay, now verse 25. Verse 25. Now, we're not in any hurry to get through this. Uh, this is not an OEBS class. We have a set time, but we I do try to aim for about 20 minutes or so when we do these lessons. Verse uh, 25. Now, it came to pass at the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. Verse 26, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So we find in verse 25 and 26 what he is to do, right? He is to cut down this altar to Baal. Now, Baal uh, is a supreme male divinity of the Phoenicians or Canaanites. Uh, it is a false god. It is an idol. Baal has come in many forms. Sometimes an idol, uh, just various different, in various different forms. But he has to cut it down. But also notice here in verse twenty-five, he says here, "Tear down the altar of Baal that now notice that your father has. Your father has it. Cut it down. Tear it down. Your father built this. But I want you to tear it down. That's." pretty big thing to ask. Yes, we, we would say, yeah, well, yeah, tear it down. It's a false altar. It's an altar to a false god, brother. But who has built it? His father. His father has done this. It tells you a little bit of background of some of the things that Gideon had had, had in, endured. Um, verse 26, he goes, or 25, he goes on to say, cut down the wooden image that is beside it, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. So tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. Two false gods, two idols here, right? In verse 25. What, who has it? His father has it. But Gideon is not to, not to pay any attention to the fact that his father has erected these things. It's the command of God. Tear it down. It doesn't matter who built it. Verse 26. And build an altar 
Notice here we do instead, build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. And take the second bull and, and, and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image, which you shall cut down. So take the wood from this image that is beside the bell, besides, beside Baal, and do what? Burn it. He says, take the wood uh, there in verse uh, 26 and and use it use it to make to burn to, to for the altar that you're going to build to God there in verse 26. Verse 27, so Gideon took 10 men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. Because he feared his father's household, remember this is his father's idol, right? Because he feared, feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. He was afraid. And rightfully so. You want, you, he's afraid of his father and his father's household and afraid of the anger, right? So he did it by night. Verse 27. It seemed that some of Gideon's relatives were idolaters. They resented Gideon destroying the, their false images and, and leading the people to worship the true God. Look at verse 28. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there, there was the altar of Baal torn down and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down. And the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, because he has torn down the altar of Baal, and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Would you plead, who would, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Joash shows, shows some uh, sensibility here, doesn't he, in verse 31. Notice what he says, let, let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. Meaning, let the one who's going to take up for this, for Baal, let him be put to death. But notice what he says here, if he is a god, let him plead for himself. If he is a God, now notice here in verse 31, the way Joash speaks to him, uh, and maybe this is the way it's recorded for us here, but he he's mentioned here as God little g, right? If he is a God, let him plead for himself. And Joash is right. If he is God or a God, let him speak for himself because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called him Jerubbabel, saying, let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. Verse 32, so since the altar of Baal had been thrown down, it was time for this false god to rise up and defend himself, but he did not. Why? Because a false god is just that. It's a false god. It does not exist. It cannot speak. It cannot move. It cannot even exist unless man creates him. Verse 33, then all the Mennonites and Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. Now, Jezreel means here God sows. Interesting name. I love the names in the Old Testament, well, just names in general in the Bible, because they mean so many things. And the Mennonites, for example, mean, mean strife. The Amalekites here means dweller in the valley. Interesting. Um, you know, I was reading through Deuteronomy last night, chapter 1 and chapter 2, and uh, there were some interesting names there. One name uh, for one, I can't remember if it was a location or a person, but it meant scorn. <laughs> I thought, wow, what an interesting name. Anyway, Jezreel here means God sows. Uh, there's a city um, here, uh, the Valley of Jezreel. You have two. There's a city in, in the in Nekib of, of Judah, or the city in Issachar, the northwest spur of Mount Gilboa. Now, 
so the Midnights and the Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. Verse 34, But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet, and the, and the Abzerites gathered, gathered behind him. Now, Abzerites, or Ab, Abzerites, uh, their, their name means, My father is help. Um, a, a, a Massonite called son of Gilead, also son of Gilead's sister. Uh, another meaning behind this, or definition behind it. But it means, my father is help. So these people are gathered behind Gideon. And who's going to be helping them? Well, Gideon. He's going to be helping Gideon? God. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet and gathered, and the, and the uh, Ab- Abzerites gathered behind him. And he sent messengers to Albanassa, and who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, Neptali, and they came up to meet to meet them. And so here we have them gathered behind him. That is, they are in support of Gideon. Um, so hearing all hearing what Gideon had done, the Midianites formed an alliance against Israel. Nothing so unites the enemies of the Lord's people as to see God's people making progress, as we find here. And then verses 36 through 44, we see that the, the test or the sign of the fleece. Verse 36. So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by the hand, as you have said. And so it was, when he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, that he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry on the fl- on, only on the fleece, but all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. Now, the fleece test was conducted so that Gideon might have his assurance that God was leading him and that he was truly doing God's will. And no doubt, we think about all the things that Gideon had faced, all the things he was doing. He wanted assurance. And it's interesting, he says here in verse um, uh, 39, he says, Don't be angry with me. Let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. He asked, he asked God to be merciful, to be to be understanding. Basically, what he's asking, he's asking God not to, not to be angry with him when he asked just one more thing. What's he wanting to do? He wants to make sure that it's God who's with him. He wants to make sure that God is going to stay with him. And Gideon would find that God wasn't going anywhere. So long as they were faithful to God, God would return his faithfulness being with them wherever they went. And we find in chapter 7, we have, as you have here on the screen, Gideon's bowing at 300, right? And uh, we're going to look at maybe part of this for a few moments, um, and then we're going to close out for today. Looking at chapter 7, then Jerubal, Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him, rose early and encamped beside the well of, of Herod, so that the camp of the Mennonites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. Um, so beside the well of Herod, now Herod, I'm probably mispronouncing that, means spring of Herod, a camping place of Gideon and Israel near the hill of Morah. Uh, then we find Morah here, the, the name Morah means teacher. Um, and so interesting. I love looking at those names. Okay, verse 2. 
And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Mennonites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. And this is so interesting here. Um, we think about this idea in verse 2, and when the Lord says, There's too many of you. If you win, people are just going to say that you did it, that God wasn't God wasn't with you. Didn't, God you know, uh, didn't have to do anything because you had so many people. It's interesting that here um, that this is brought out. He says, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying my own hand has saved me. So what is he going to do? Well, naturally, he's going to downsize, right? The army of Gideon consisted of 30,000 men. The Mennonite camp was north of them on the hill of Morah across the valley from, the, from Mount Gilboa. If Gideon had won the battle with 32,000 men, it is possible that the people would have entrusted in their own strength. Both the Israelites and Mennonites needed to see that the work was done by God. This would inspire the Israelites with confidence and the Mennonites with fear. What's he saying? Let's win with fewer people so, there, so we can erase any doubt that this is done by God. Anyone can win with 32,000 people is basically what he's saying here. But let's do it with less. And what do we get down to? We get down to 300, right? Look at verse 3. Now, therefore, reclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, I am turned and apart at once for Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. If you're afraid, go home. Is basically what he told them. And 22,000 people left. Well, honestly, who's not afraid in battle? Well, 10,000 remains. I guess they weren't afraid. But 22,000 left. 22 were fearful and afraid. It's interesting that they still came. But 22,000 left. Verse 4, the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. 10,000 people is not that many for, for war. There are people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that, if, that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And if of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps in the water with his tongue as a dog laps shall sit apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. The number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. All the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Now, I have drank water from different areas, went out uh, in the woods or whatever. I've never gotten down and looked like a dog. Um... I've never put my face in the water. I'm not saying I'm like one of the 300, but that never entered my mind. So to me, it sounds odd. I think you're going to bend down on your knees and just lip your lip water like a dog. But I guess some did. Enough so that only 300 of them did not. Here in verses 4 and 5. Um, so it appears that some of the people went down on their knees and put their mouths to the water while others took up water to the hollow of their hands. Different people have also brought brought out why this is important. Um, I think it's clear that God was trying just to to divide uh, the army down to a lower number. But also, it's been pointed out by some, how hard is it to see who's around you, see what's going on, if your face is down to the water? If you bring water up to your mouth, what can you do? You can still keep an eye out, right? You can still be aware of what's going on. Verse 7, So the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped, I will say, save you and deliver the Mennonites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. Um, so um, so everyone who laps in water from his, 
water with his tongue as a dog laps, shall sit apart by himself for his five. Likewise, when he gets down on his knees to drink. And so um, I always think about those who get on their knees to drink. He's more like a dog. Uh, but the one who brings water up to his mouth, he says here, the number of those who lap putting their hand to their mouth was 300 men. So the ones who lap are the ones who put their hand to their, to their mouth, right? All the rest of people get down their knees. So those who get down their knees are the ones who were departed. Um, again, I've always, in my mind, even though it says here that the ones who laughed with, with a 300, I always picture the ones who laughed with the ones who get down their knees. But anyway, uh, so the ones who, who brought the water to their mouth are the ones who stayed, who lapped. He says, I will save you by them and deliver and deliver the Mennonites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So people took provisions and, the, and their trumpets in their hands, and he sent away all, sent away the, all all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300. Now the camp of meeting was below him in the valley. Okay, so everyone else went home, right? It was, it was not a big mistake uh, to equip. Uh, it was not a big task whether to equip 300 men. Um, 32,000 down to 10,000 down to 300. Now we're going to stop there. When we come back next time, is I want to give the battle more time. But when we come back next time, we'll pick up in Judges chapter 7 and verse 9, and we're looking at the battle of the 300. Again, thank you for your time and for your attention. Hope you enjoyed the study. I hope to see you again, Lord willing, next week.